Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. I, Bruno Raffaele Jamba, declare this day, today, the king of my life. I will make my decisions based on what I believe is best for me. I will not allow others to deter me from doing what is best for me. I will not allow anyone to take my time from me. I have a set schedule and will not allow others to stop me from fulfilling my schedule. I will not allow my spouse to take away from my me time. If I want to watch my game or show, my golly, I will do so. Of course, if she's okay with it. There's no room for King James in my kingdom. That's the basketball player, King James LeBron. There is no room for the king of pop. I can hee-hee better than him in my kingdom. There's no room for the king of rock. I dance better in my blue suede shoes than in, in my kingdom than he does. However, I work hard and pay my bills. I'm a decent person who cares for people so long as they don't wrong me. For the most part, I try to be there for people so long as they don't interrupt my schedule. I don't talk about bad about people who always speak well of me. Of course, if someone wrongs me, I will not offer revenge. Just ignore them. Yes, I, Bruno Raffaele Jamba, declare this day today the king of my life. This scepter is a symbol of my authority to declare my righteousness for my sake alone. I am a monarchy and only answer to God. Okay, well, now that you guys can get a good laugh out of that, one of the questions is, how many of us can see some truth into that? How many of us can sense that in our lives, sometimes we can hold on to the scepter and have authority of our own lives? Now, we may not think of a scepter, and we might even think that's a bit silly and going too far. I know some of you would think it's crazy in this context to even think about holding a scepter, especially in your home, because, you know, i got to be honest with you. Courtney picked this out. This sucker's heavy. And um, this thing's got some weight on it. If you want to work on your golf swing, you could just do some chip swings like this. It's kind of like one of those weight things where you can work on it. But, uh, ladies, if you want to deter a robber, um, this is a good weapon. Just see Courtney, because uh, this sucker's heavy. And it's got something. Look, I mean, it's pretty heavy. It can kind of knock you out. But see, the thing is, how many of us hold on to a scepter, metaphorical scepter in our hearts? How many of us are challenged to think that in our walk with God, that it's possible that sometimes we do that? How about in our marriages, with our children, with people at work, the challenge that exists? And we're talking today, and we'll talk for the next four weeks, about the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. I mean, this is what Christmas is really about. Unleashing the king. But is unleashing the king the king that we have of me, Bruno? Whomever you are? Or is it that I want to see the king of kings unleashed out of me? See, that's, that's the question. And that's the determination. Because a king is one who can answer to his own authority. He's an absolute monarchy. If we look at the word king, we would understand that he's one ruler that has supreme authority, where his authority is not restricted to any written laws or customs. And it's often more likely like a hereditary monarchy. 
because it goes down from generation to generation, whether they're qualified or not, the son becomes the king. And we see that even in countries today like England, we see that happening. But again, a scepter is simply a symbol of authority. And we see that even in the scriptures. We see that even in, 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 in Genesis 49 that the scepter will be in the line of Judah. As we know that in the line of Judah would ultimately be Jesus. That becomes the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, signet ring was also another symbol for authority where they would just stamp their approval of the signet ring on documents. But the king has absolute power and authority to do whatever he wants, as I mentioned. And he only has one true authority. According to divine right of kings, it's God. And so as we think about that, how does the position of a king and his authority correlate with Western American individualism? We think within our society and our context. As we continue in our culture, individualism has taken the role of authority in our society. There has been less accountability and more tolerance. More seeking, exploring loopholes in order to gain their individual preferences. A common response is, you don't have a right to tell me what to do. I have that right. I'm king of my life. I hold the scepter. I determine what's right in my life. As believers in Christ, have we potentially adopted this theory? This idea that individual preferences are more important to fight for than the importance of coming together corporately. Willing to give of ourselves so that together we can be one rather than defending our so-called right and holding up a scepter. See, as I think about all in the Bible and the former kings of the Old Testament, we recognize that Messiah would derive from the, the line of David. And the Davidic covenant was delivered through to the king of David through the prophet Nathan. But David was informed that his throne would be established forever in the lineage. And we know that in the book of Matthew chapter 1, we understand that, that 42 generations are laid out. We understand, too, that... The theme of Matthew for Jesus is the king. Each gospel has a specific theme for Jesus and who he is. And we see him as a servant in Mark. We see him as the perfect man in Luke. And we see him as deity in John. But in this audience, there is a Jewish, primarily a Jewish audience, and where they lift up Jesus as king. And so as we see that at the beginning, we understand, too, in the book of Matthew, throughout it, God has displayed his son the sending of his son and displayed that the kingdom is at hand. And he would even say in chapter 3, repent for the kingdom is at hand. So when we think about it, our decisions, do we ultimately determine our lives, our possessions, our will, our agenda, our dreams? In Christ, do we have the right to hold the scepter? I, you know, I, know it's, I know it would be silly to even think that someone would walk around with a scepter, but just think metaphorically in our hearts when we think that we have authority in our lives to determine what we can do next. Or is God trying to say, do, do you really want that king to be unleashed, or do you want my son, who is the king of kings, to be unleashed in your life? See, because for the king of kings to be unleashed in our lives, that means this scepter has to drop. But too often we hold on to it, and we have a tight grip on it, and we don't want to let it go. And see, sometimes even when God allows us to be successful, who gets the credit? We do or God does? 
You know, it's often that when things go successful, we want the cred. When things go wrong, we want to blame somebody else. <laughs> because we don't want, we don't, I don't want the scepter. Here, you want to grab it? <laughs> but God's saying, wait a minute, you're holding on to it. You have to understand that I have to do that work through you. So if, if you look with me to um, chapter 19 of Matthew, we're going to look at the life of this young rich ruler. And as you're turning to Matthew in your Bibles, Matthew 19, we entitled this, this sermon, Holding, Holding the Scepter, Holding the Scepter, because we understand the scepter is authority. And the young rich ruler, you may look at him and say, well, was he holding a scepter or not? And as you have your outlines in front of you, you can fill in the blanks as we move along. The first thing I, I point out is that when we hold the scepter, when we're holding the scepter, we have to look at this life of the young rich ruler in verse 16. Because what was he doing? He's about to approach Jesus. Now, Jesus, when he was walking around in and through Israel and in Jerusalem, he came across many different types of people. Those who were Gentiles, Jews, Pharisees, and he even came across those who were poor and even those who were rich. And as you have to see and understand that those who are rich are those who stand in authority in and of themselves. You can understand when someone has money, people tend to flock to them. They want to serve them. They want to get in good with them because they hope that if they have a lot of money, maybe they'll get a little bit of their money. You ever notice that? If someone who has money, if they get in, they want to get into a place, they just have to flash some cash and then they get in. And when they get in, it's because they have the authority to be able to say, I have the money, I can get in. You know that when you see throughout celebrities in Hollywood and many people are rich and we are envious and jealous of what they have, we think, wow, wouldn't it be great to have our own yacht? Wouldn't it be great to have our own plane? Wouldn't it be great to just be able to go anywhere you want with all the money that you have? There's an authority piece with that. So this young, rich, young man, this young, rich ruler, he has this authority. But yet he com he's confronted and he comes in that pres presentation of the king of kings and lord of lords. Yet he doesn't know it because he's holding a scepter. Seeing his authority and holding the scepter and having this authority of loving his possessions and loving everything he has, he doesn't actually see who Jesus really is. So look with me to verse 16. It says this, as you're, as you're looking at it, and as we look at this, this point here, um, we have to understand that verse 16 is this, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, there are three words there, good, do, and the word have, which really in the Greek, it means to gain. So you have good that he mentions. Now, why is he mentioning the word good? Because He's thinking in his mind that he can do good with what he has. So if he has money, he could do good for himself. And he's thinking, what can I do in order to gain some good here? So the mentality is, just like in a Jewish legalistic mentality, how do I do something in order to gain something? But with eternal life, it's not doing something in order to receive eternal life. We know it's already done. See, it's not D-O, it's D-O-N-E. Jesus already did it. And also, when it's about gaining, we don't gain eternal life. We receive it. God gives it. And we receive it. So it's not something we gain that we've done. God has done it. Therefore, he's given it to us. And the gain we have is not just eternal life, but a relationship with God. 
that we have access to the Father through his Son, that we can have a relationship, not just something we have to do in order to gain a position. See, it's not that we're just in Christ. We're living each day in relationship with God, enjoying him and worshiping him, yielding to God through the power of the Holy Spirit and enjoying him every day and realizing that he loves us. And so what he's saying is that what must I do to gain eternal life? The good is not that. That's the mentality. Because see, what happens is it's a measuring tool. Whenever we have this mentality of doing, it's a measuring tool to determine and control what is considered good. When I do something, I can control it. But God's saying, no, I don't, I don't want you to control anything. I just want you to have a relationship with me. Because sometimes it's easy for us to just measure Christianity or measure what we do and place it in a box. It's just easy to check it off. See, that's what the rich young ruler is doing. He's trying to find out what's the least I have to do in order to gain. Now, what happens here, though, when we do that, this is what happens. We fail to see God's righteousness and righteous attributes. We fail to see who God is. When we're into ourselves and our possessions and everything that we do, we fail to see that we're actually in the presence of God. Here is the young rich ruler who is in the presence of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet he didn't even know it. He just thought he was a teacher. He just thought he was a rabbi. He thought he was just asking a good teacher how he can gain eternal life. He heard about Jesus. He heard about all that was happening, but he's saying, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to keep this scepter in my hand and still gain God and eternal life? That's what he was doing. And then Jesus just flips the script. It's real simple because this is what he does. He goes, said to him, verse 17, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, wait a minute. Stop with the good. Good is as good as it gets. We understand that. In Genesis, it's as good as it gets. When God created and it was good, it can't get any better than good. It's better than excellent. It's better than awesome. It's better than... It is good. It's satisfying. It's enough. But he goes, why are you putting it on me? Only God is good. He even didn't give glory to himself. Why? Because we see that in John 8. Jesus said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I give glory to the Father. Jesus did that when he walked on earth, not because he was 100% God, because as he was 100% God, he's 100% man, but he was 100% God, and although he is deity in form, he would still give glory to God. Why? Because that's a harmonious unity in the Trinity. He gives glory to the Father. The Spirit of God gives glory to Jesus. And so we understand that he's saying, why do you ask me what is good? And then he goes, all right, if you want to keep it, you want to be this person who thinks he has eternal life? Keep the commandments. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, Lord, why did you say keep the commandments? We know, even as a New Testament Christian, you can't keep the commandments and gain eternal life. Lord, why are you telling him it's okay? But see, Jesus was setting him up. Jesus was setting him up on a testing to saying, hey, let me see if this dude is really holding on to his scepter or not. Because he needs to drop it, but he's not. He's going to hold on to it. And so he goes, you know what? You want to gain eternal life. Why don't you keep? The commandments. We understand that keeping the commandments, keeping the law, was a tutor for sin. It just identified that we're not perfect and that God is perfect and that the commandments and the law is perfect. Therefore, we can't. And therefore, Jesus had to be accursed for the law. So there's no way we could have eternal life by just keeping the commandments. So understanding this, the young man is sitting there and he's saying, okay. So the young man has the courage to even said, sure, Lord. He said, which ones? 
He said, okay, keep the commandments. Which ones do you I mean, I got this, Lord. I know I got this. I can keep these commandments. I got this. See, what he was saying is which ones? Because he says, I'm righteous. I got this scepter. I'm in authority in my own life. I got this. I know I've kept the law. Please test me which ones. I'm going to ace this test. But there was no humility. So Jesus is reminding us that when we hold the scepter, sometimes we don't fully understand that when we hold the scepter, that's not how we gain righteousness. Even if we see it in Romans, for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is as written, the righteousness shall live by faith. So righteousness cannot be gained by keeping the law, keeping the commandments. It's only through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way righteousness can come because righteousness was established and it's an activity of God. It's not our activity. See, it's an activity of God because he sent his son and his son who did the activity, did the work on the cross. That's when we trust in that and the person and work of Christ. That's when we then receive. We receive. We don't gain it. We receive it. That's the beauty of God. And so when we hold on to it, we hold on to the scepter. We don't see God for who he is. And then what we do see is we fail to see that the righteousness is not determined by our actions. If you're looking at, particularly in verse 18, it said to him, which ones? He said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. He cited six through nine because this is dealing with people and others. See, the first four would deal with God directly, but five through ten in the Ten Commandments deal with others, loving others. So when we commit murder, we don't just affect in destroying someone's life and taking someone's life. We affect an entire family and an entire society, entire community. See, when, when we commit adultery, we're not just committing adultery with the other party. We're committing adultery with the family and with people who knew. And even if it's in a church setting, it's awful. It could destroy a church. And when we, you know, steal, we steal from someone, we're not just stealing from that person. We're stealing from their family. And then we're stealing because we're dishonoring God. And then we bear false witness and we slander and we malice and we put people down. We're not just simply bear false witnessing against that person. We're affecting an entire family and a community and a community of people of God. I mean, even, even in Exodus, it was quite clear. Jesus was just citing what was in the Old Testament of the Ten Commandments and our actions. See, I believe this man wanted to know the least he could do because if it was the least he could do then he can assure eternal life because it's easy to put God in a box. It's easy to just do what you're expected to do. It's easy when you're in relationship. Just do it, check it off, and that's it. That's all about my Christianity. That's all I have to do. But it's more to that. See, when we hold the scepter, we fail to see the righteousness is not determined by a position of authority. Interestingly, when we think of authority, we think of position like in a job, president, a king, a CEO, someone who's big. But that's not, that's ultimately what Jesus was even referring to. Because in verse 19, he was talking about honoring your father and your mother. So he went through six through nine with the commandments and then added on these two. He said, add a number five at the end, and then it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we add, this is the only place out of all the gospels where Jesus adds on, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Matthew who was writing it, seemed to catch that. He seemed to, because see, in chapter 22, he talks about the great commandment and the great commission into 28. 
But the great commandment is to love, your Lord, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the great commandment was to love your neighbor. But see, what happens is Jesus was saying, you can't live with authority and hold the scepter. You can't be the king of yourself and then expect me to be the king of kings, Jesus is saying. And see, authority, the greatest place I think that God's given us here on earth, the greatest role, the greatest authority is divine authority as parents over our children. It is one of our most important roles here on earth. Why? Because God created the family unit. His intention was for his children, for the children to obey their parents and honor them. Why? Because this authoritative relationship established by God would ultimately reflect God's glory. But what has happened to the family? It's broken. In our society today, there are single parents. There are some children who don't even have parents and don't even know their parents. And honor to the single parents who have to take care of their children. Honor to them and for children today who always want to throw up the scepter and say, I can do it. I have a right to make my own decisions. If my children ever say that to me because I've said that to my parents and I was wrong, but when my kids even come close to saying that, I'm saying, no problem. I'll pack your bags. You go pay for your own rent, pay for your own bills, and I'll make sure your bills come to your P.O. box, wherever it is. If it's in a box, a literal box, I'll make sure that you have a mailbox on your literal box, and I'll put the mail there for you because that's where you're going to end up if you think that you're going to be able to go on your own and you have a right. But I have to be careful as a parent, too, that I don't walk around doing this saying, hey, I'm the authority in this house. I got the scepter. You do what I say or else. Because sometimes I fail to do that. I fail to be a man who honors God. Sometimes I could hold my scepter and say, hey, wait a minute, last time I checked, I was the father here. It's biblical. But the manner by which I do it isn't right, or anyone else for that matter. See, holding that scepter, when God has given us this authority, we don't abuse it. I lived in a physical abusive home. I didn't have a great example of a father, but I loved my father and will love him for the rest of my life in my heart. But my heavenly father has taught me different. And God has blessed me with a father in the Lord that has helped me through so much. Because God is giving us, each one of us, that authority, but we are not to abuse it, verbally or physically. Not in our marriages, not in our homes, not at jobs, not in our families, in any setting of families, with our friends, with our church, nothing. God has given us a cool authority, but our righteousness is not determined by that. We can't hold the scepter and demand our authority. But sometimes we do. Metaphorically, we do. We go through struggles in our lives. There are areas in our lives, there are areas in our walk with Christ where we hold on to that scepter because we just are afraid to let it go because if someone finds out who I really am, I'm in trouble. And if someone finds out that I'm a mess, I'm in trouble. I got to put up a front, pretend like I'm all in control. God never intended for that. That's where God can do a work if we don't always have to hang on and hold on to our scepter. See, we're not called to misuse our authority. We're called to be good stewards, to build relationships with our children 
and with people around us. See, what has happened to our society regarding parents and authority figures? When children have a healthy view of authority in their homes, they're more likely to respect authority in society. In the Old Testament, the Lord commanded to have parents hold their children accountable to respect their authorities. In the law, children that disrespected authority could receive severe consequences, possibly capital punishment. I mean, that's in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. One of the reasons for the Babylonian exile of 70 years was due to the failure to honor their parents. So this is a serious, serious issue. And then Jesus mentions to the young man to love your neighbor as yourself because the problem with the young man was that he was too busy loving his possessions and loving the idea of serving himself that he had no time to love his neighbor. Also, one who cannot love his neighbor is not truly loving God. See, Jesus turned the conversation saying from keeping the law to relationship with God because love is not measured by obeying a set of rules. Could you imagine a marriage by completing a set of tasks without talking to each other. Can you imagine? You just do your job. Honey, what do you want to do? Here, the honey-do list. Honey, do this. Honey, do that. Honey, do this. Honey, do that. Okay, I've done my list. I'm doing now. What do I gain? I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to have a relationship with her. I'll just do it. Go watch my football game, mind my business, and ignore her. Can you imagine? There's no relationship in a marriage like that. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just a set of rules. We can't imagine that. Well, how much more when God is saying to us, if we hold the scepter and become the king of our own lives, Jesus is saying, don't. Don't hold on to You're going to miss out on relationship. God is desiring. Because, see, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rebellion is holding out on the scepter. We want to call the shots. We want to be able to put God in a box. See, God's not calling us to that. See, last, when we hold on to the scepter, when we understand that, we fail to see that righteousness is not determined by our own assessment. It's not determined. See, too often what we want to do is we want to judge people according to our intentions. Um, but, I mean, judge, we want to judge, not judge on our intentions, but we want to judge others on their actions. So when we see our intentions, we're like, oh, they're all good. But when we see other people's actions, we're like, no, that's bad. Because we want to hold that scepter up and say, I'm good. Everything is good. It's easy for me, when I look at my own life, to do that, to just hold it up. See, when, well, I know is that it can come off this way. I really meant this. We just begin to justify our wrong and judge others for their wrong. See, I think that's why... Ultimately, when we hold on to that scepter, we want to believe that we have everything in control and we just can assess our intentions. But deep down inside, in the midst of our inner battle, this is what happens when we hold on to our scepters. Insecurities, inadequacies, selfishness, arrogance, pride, fear, self-righteousness, pain, bondage, depression. See, God never intended that for us. But when we see this, we're seeing in the scriptures and we understand that when you're looking at what has been stated here, it's quite simple. In verse 19, he said, honor your father and your mother and you shall love yourself. Verse 20, and then the young man said to him, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? Meaning, I'm still going to hold on to the scepter. 
I don't lack anything, right, Jesus? Everything is good, right? In fact, Jesus, I feel so good that you know what? I think I'm going to hoist my scepter because I got it. You can't, you can't tell me I can't hold all the commandments that you've expected of me. Because what happens is when we begin to hoist it, we don't just hold it, we hoist it. Because we think, okay, Lord, is there anything else I'm missing? Because I think I got this. I think everything's good, Lord. I've got it. I'm confident. I believe I'm righteous. I know I've got everything. My actions hold it. My assessment holds it. Everything, Lord. I've got this. I'm righteous. I know there's nothing else I lack. But then he goes on to say this. He goes, no problem. I'll tell you what. Verse 21 says it's simple. He says this. Jesus said to him, and he just said, he goes, if you'd be perfect, you'd be perfect. Three imperatives. Go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor. Perfect, not meaning sinless. Perfect meaning complete, mature. If you think you have everything, if you think you can hold the scepter and say you're righteous, if you think you have everything in control, you think you've held every commandment, you held it well, you've kept it, then you know what? No problem. Then you know what? You're good for this next one. Hey, if you got everything you need, if you're in control, guess what? Just give it all up and follow me. Just give it all up and follow me. Sell it. See, he had this love for possessions. He had this love for money. He had this love for the authority that brought for him for the fact that he had all this money. He didn't understand. He's like, Lord, I don't care, Lord, whatever. I'm not going to fail this test. He goes, well, then go sell it. See, Jesus didn't say to him, hey, when you got time, sell your possessions when it's good in the market. When you have time, you know what? When it works out in your schedule, do it. When your children, when, when you're all done, you're all set with your kids and everything, then you do it. You follow me. He said, no. See, I think when we hoist the scepter, we refuse to commit. We refuse to commit. Jesus was calling on his people to commit. Look with me here to Matthew 8, 22, throughout the book. It says this, and Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. He goes on to say this, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, we hold it, and Jesus, he's like, go ahead, Jesus, try to take it. I know I'm good. I know I'm good. I got a kung fu grip on it. You can't take it. The Lord's like, I'm not trying to take it from you. I love you too much. I want to show you my love. Because see, when we see the love of Christ all of a sudden, we loosen it, let it go, and then it drops. But when we don't see the love of God, when we're our possessions and our love for this world blurs us and blinds us, we hold on to the scepter because we think we have the authority to do so. It's subtle. It's not that we intentionalize it. It's not that you wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to hold my scepter. I know this is corny to even look at it and think, okay, wait a minute, the scepter? Yeah, but metaphorically, it represents authority. How often do we wake up and say, I'm going to make my decisions for my life. I know how this is going to work next. We catch ourselves. We don't intentionalize it, but we catch ourselves. And he goes on in chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, whoever does not take this cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, lose it for his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, 24, 26, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For whatever profit a man, if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul. That's the young rich ruler. And what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, that's why even if he says when we hoist the scepter, we refuse his treasure. We saw this in our generosity series. We saw this verse here. Matthew 6, 19, 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break up break in and steal, but lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Buddy of mine, this past week, his 84-year-old mom is coming back from a game or a gathering. Her daughter, his sister, her daughter dropped her off, was parking the car. She was going up her steps was trying to enter into his, her house. And while she was parking the car, trying to, you know, kind of get a, get a hold of her mom, um, she couldn't get there close enough. She fell to the ground and hit her head, um, caused internal bleeding. Um, they went to the hospital, drained the blood, began to do surgery immediately to try to heal what was going on in her brain, in her skull. And they found blood uh, around her brain stem. They weren't sure if they could take care of it, they began to work with her. Um, he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, four days later, she died. Um, broke my heart because I lost my mom two and a half years ago. He didn't have but four days to say goodbye. And I don't think he even had much of a chance to say goodbye with great clarity and consciousness. His mom was out. I talked to him. He was hurting, but he understood because he understands as a Christian, he can't hold on to what's here on earth. And I asked him about the confidence that he had for his mom to know Christ. He wasn't super confident. And too often what we do is that when we miss out on life, it's because we're holding on to the things of this world that we forget that the things on earth are not, that we ultimately need to hold on to. We need to hold on to things that are treasured in heaven. And I think that that's where Jesus even said in a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, he sees it as a value. See, when we hoist that scepter and think we're in control, we just, we refuse to love. The young man refused to love. The reason why he did was because his possessions became a stumbling block. They blinded him. The authority of having money. He wanted to be king of his life. And when you and I, we want to be king of the areas in our lives, we miss out on relationship with God, on his blessing. See, God's not trying to rip the scepter out of our hands. He wants us to drop it. Because he's a gentle, loving God. He's a compassionate God who has all the authority. His son has all the authority to do so. Jesus doesn't have to do much. When we look and gaze upon his face, that's enough for us. I don't know about you, but sometimes growing up, my father didn't have to raise his voice. I just, when I looked at him and I could see the look on his face, it scared me. Because I knew he was showing forth authority and I had to revere him. 
Not a scare like I was afraid of him, but just revering his authority. Jesus doesn't rip things out. He doesn't even have to hoist it. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he wants to do that work in our lives. He's a compassionate, loving God. But this man missed out. He saw the tangible versus the intangible. You know, I had some years ago, well now it's like 18 years ago, young in our years and five years in our marriage, my wife and I, we were in Dallas. Uh, we owned a home. It was only about $100,000. a 1,700 square foot home. And I can imagine around here, $100,000 for a home. But it was like living back then, it was just amazing. Um, but it's not as amazing because it was subjective because um, I was only making about 22000 a year. And so it, th throughout seminary, it was difficult and challenging for us to pay our bills. And I remember a time when my wife as an occupational therapist had to um, continue her education credits, but also expand her role as an occupational therapist. She had to, her educational credits would cost. Uh, it wasn't $100, 200 $300. It was $2,500. And lo and behold, we didn't have a lot of money, and we were broke, and we were in debt, and it was tough and difficult. So I would hoist up my, <laughs> I would hoist up my scepter and say, no, you will not pay for that. God, we don't have that money right now. There's no way God's going to give us $2,500. We don't even have the money to pay our bills and put food on our table. There's no way. Well, you know, I, I hurried up and put my, my scepter up saying, I won't allow it in our house. And my wife and I were arguing. And she's like, why won't you do this for me? I'm like, no, I can't do it for you. I, we don't have it. So we had argued for some time. And then the Lord had some fun with us. So we're sitting there in our home. And I don't know about you in Dallas, if you know, that the weather can change at any moment. And tornadoes can come at any time. And uh, you got to hurry up and know what to do. And where we were living, although we were in Garland, just outside of Dallas, we could get some strong winds and potential tornadic winds. And so we didn't know. And so there was hail coming as well at any moment. So that evening, we were sitting with some friends in our home. We were struggling at a time. It was a really difficult year. And all I hear on the roof was, I was like, what is Jesus? Jesus? What's, what's going on? I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I'm from the north. I didn't hear. I never knew anything about a hailstorm. All of a sudden, I turned to my friends and said, what is that? Is somebody on our roof? What's going on? And we're just hearing these knocks. And my wife and I are looking at each other, what's going on? And they're like, I think there's a hailstorm going on. We look outside, and there's a hailstorm going on. Okay, well, what do you expect? He goes, well, you may get hail damage. I'm like, oh, no. Lord, don't do this to me. Not more money. I was like, I can't do this. And then, lo and behold, our friend said, wait a minute. Think about it, Bruno. You could actually gain money on this. How? He goes, because I'll share it with you. And he begins to share it with me. And then a couple days later, I find out the Lord says, I'm going to pay for your wife's education. I said, now how in the world is that going to happen with only so much money? Because our car was totaled. It was a 12-year-old car that was totaled. So we gained about two grand off of that. Plus our house, we gained a little bit more because we talked to a roofer and he, he was able to give us a little bit more. And then my mom just happened to send us a check out of the blue, which was a good hefty check. And then all of a sudden now we were getting some tax credits from President Bush because he was getting out tax credit. Before you know it, I went from no money in debt to, wow, I got some extra money now. This was kind of cool. But see, here what I was doing was, no, Lord, you can't work that way because I, I can't believe you can work that way. God's like, wait a minute. Why are you hoisting your scepter saying, I can't work that way? I can do whatever I want. I'm the king, not you. And lo and behold, I was missing out on the fact that I was trying to hold on to the scepter of my life rather than letting God be God. 
And I was blind, blind, just blinded by the fact that God couldn't work beyond that. I was learning about faith. I was learning about finances. I was learning about trusting God with thousands and thousands of dollars. I've never been there before. This was a new learning experience for me. But God was teaching me. He was showing me how important that was. Because I was refusing to believe God. I did not love my wife well through that time. She did not love me well. We were refusing to love each other because we were blinded by what we thought was authority. God was showing me something. When I was holding on to my scepter, what was really happening was I was holding on to the scepter, which reveals ultimately my heart. It was revealing the young man's heart, but it was revealing my heart. Look with me, Matthew 19, through 26. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He heard, go, sell your possessions and follow me. And he's like, nah, I'm holding on to my scepter. There's no way. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to follow you. And there are times in our lives when we hold up our scepter and we just say, no, Lord, I'm not going to follow you on this one. I don't believe you can do a work here. This is impossible. It's not possible for you to give me $2,500 for my wife's education. So you know what, Lord? There's no way. You cannot make this rock bleed. There's no way, Lord. And you can't make a cat bark. So, God, there's no way. Because I was thinking only to my own mind. But see, he was saying that to this young rich ruler. He wasn't, he was holding on. And he said, Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich, man, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all Things are possible. And I saw that. What God revealed to me was that I was holding on to the scepter and I didn't humble myself. What was showing me is that just like the young rich ruler, he loved himself and his possessions more than his neighbors. He loved himself more than, his, than God. He lacked true faith and lacked to place Christ first, even though Christ was right in front of him. He, he didn't see Jesus. He didn't see him for who he was in his attributes. He didn't see. He didn't realize his actions didn't give him righteousness. He understood and realized that it was not his authority that gave him the righteousness, nor could he assess what was righteous. He missed out because he was blinding. He wasn't putting his faith in the person and work of Jesus. He lost sight of Christ and his deity, and he believed in his own version of righteousness. How often does that happen to us? How, how, how often in our lives that we miss out on Jesus because we're blinded by our own so-called righteousness? How about you? As the team is coming up, the worship team, how about you? Where in your life are you truly holding on to this scepter? Is it in your marriage? Are you battling with your children? Is it a decision at work? Is there something going on in your heart where you're just having a difficult time to let it go because you're not believing God can really come through? Are you just putting God in a box and saying, you know what, um, I think I got it all in control. I'll just assume that, God, that's how you're going to work, and I'll leave it there. Or is God saying, please, 
please drop the scepter and let me be the king of kings and the Lord of lords in your life. It's a challenge to each one of us. It's a challenge to me each day. I am being challenged every day in my life to surrender to God. I want to encourage you today. It might be an area in your life. I want you to just bow your heads for just a moment. Only you know. Only God knows. No one in this church has an idea. This is between you and the Lord. But could you identify one area in your life, whether it be worry, fear, anger, envy, pride, jealousy, is there one area in your life that you just say, I need to give it up? I don't know what that is, but I know God knows what it is. And he wants to come in and have that awesome relationship with you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants his son Jesus to be the king of kings. He wants you to unleash that king, not your, yourself as a king. He wants Christ to be unleashed in you. But you and I, we have to learn in these coming weeks how to drop the scepter. So let me just pray for you. Father, I pray for your people as I pray for myself. Please help us to identify that area in our lives that's holding us back from intimacy with you so that you can unleash the King of Kings in our lives. The Holy Spirit can work in a mighty way. Teach us in these coming weeks how to drop the scepter and allow you to be King in our lives. In Jesus' name.